0: Hello, and welcome to the Ram Gad Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director Podcast. I am your host, Jason Economu, and I am joined today by Jessica Krauss, Assistant Housing Administrator for the County of Maui. Hello, Jessica.
1: Hi, Jason. How are you?
0: I'm good. Um, so, Jessica, what do you do? in plain language
1: oh in plain language okay so the assistant administrator for housing helps with short and medium range planning so there's a lot of discussion about the programs that we have in our division like we have the affordable housing fund or when we get grants through the home program or the national housing trust fund how to plan to do those RFPs to find projects that fit with those funding sources um, there's other county grants like the First Time Home Buyers Program or grants management for programs like the Rental Assistance Program that the county funds. So I don't know that this is very good at plain language, but there's kind of this really broad range of activities that the housing division does, and I have little bits of pieces with a lot of those. All right.
0: Um, so maybe let's try and break into that a little bit and unpack it um (laughs) what what does your day-to-day look like what what sort of programs do you most frequently work with
1: sure so the first time home buyers program has been a huge portion of my day-to-day business so we recently just did our open application round for that and we did our lottery drawing at the beginning of this month actually so 66 households were notified that they were chosen and we're in the process of reviewing their applications and, and background information for them like tax returns or bank statements things that help us verify they're eligible to participate and then they have a chance to go out and find a home although a lot of them are already in contract to buy something or entered into a contract since the drawing so that's a very positive sign for the program so that's probably uh, the majority of my time these days.
0: So we have uh, a lot of realtors that are big fans of the first-time homebuyer program. Um, they encourage the the customers they work with to to pursue that. Do you have any advice for uh, an individual who might want to take advantage of the first-time homebuyer program down the line uh, to prepare for that?
1: Absolutely. So I would say anything that helps someone prepare to be a homeowner. Um, anything that involves cleaning up credit or thinking about what types of properties might be the ideal fit for someone's first home, where they want to live, how close they want to live to where they work would be or schools that they're interested in having their kids go to. Hale Olu has a homeownership counseling program oh, that wow. receives a grant from the county and so they provide free one-on-one consultations with anyone who's interested in sitting down with someone who can um, review their financial documents with them and help them set a path forward towards homeownership. So that's a resource that I share with a lot of people who call our office and ask about our program too. And then um, this program at this time is funded on the fiscal year cycle through the county government. So we have a better idea if it'll be funded again for another year around april or may so people who are interested can give me a call around that time ask about it and then this year it was really good to start off our new fiscal year in july with opening the application around then so we're Mm. hopeful that we'll get funding again and that we'll be able to um, start that process again in the same time of year
0: Would you say it's pretty likely that, that you'll get funding again? There seems to be a pretty strong focus on housing with the, the current council, and the mayor seems to really enjoy the program.
1: You know, there does. I don't know that I, I can speak to what will be likely, you know, a year from now, but there has been a lot of success with it, which I think speaks very strongly for how well it works, and we received very positive support from the council and the mayor in the last two years, so both the previous administration as well as this one. So I'm hopeful that the program will continue to show that same track record of success and that it, it will be a program that shows why it works well and that it shows that it's worth the support.
0: Mm. Now, you, um, you and I actually met like close to a year ago now Um, about 10 months ago because I wanted to ask you about the the first-time homebuyer program because you were pretty heavily involved in sort of crafting it right?
1: Well not so much crafting it but certainly revising it so the first-time homebuyers program was previously funded for a four-year period right around 2009 and then it went without funding for several years and then two years ago it it had a um, significant increase in funds appropriated to it with the provision that the guidelines be revised and the program be um, modernized, I guess. Mm. How modern you get after four years, I don't know, but we'll go with that word. And then I was involved in that part of researching other first-time homebuyer programs and comparing how we were structured to what exists elsewhere and what the current market trends were and all of those pieces to help um, – propose some revised guidelines for it
0: Mm. do you anticipate any like um, any future revisions that you would like to see or or you you like it how it is
1: well i think for the way that it's structured now it works really well at helping people who are ready to go out and buy a home right now Mm. and The need for this type of program certainly exceeds the resources that are available, so we know we can help at least 66 people. We had 373 applications this round.
0: Wow. And and what was it last round, do you recall?
1: I do. So the last round we had 382 applications. So we're holding pretty steady at a very high level of interest. And there were a good number of of applicants who had applied in both rounds, but there were also, I think, a, a majority of new applicants who were coming in who maybe learned about it, didn't make the deadline for the round before, and, and applied for this round. So I think that there's something to be said for when a program works well and you can keep it operating in the way that works well that's great mm. but could there be an opportunity to revise the way something's structured in the future you know absolutely
0: so uh, of those um 360 plus what, what did you say the number was that applied uh
1: 373 oh
0: 373 mm-hmm. of those 373 it was 66 that get selected from the initial drawing
1: well we pull all of them okay to establish an ordered wait list that we can work through. And so we know that if every single person qualified for the maximum award of $30,000, that we could serve 66 people in the program. Gotcha. In our experience from the previous round, not everyone necessarily remained in the program from that first 66, or several people bought properties and did not use a full $30,000 in assistance from our program, so we were able to move much further down the list than we initially thought we could. So it'll be interesting to see what the second year is like yeah. and how far we get.
0: Um, but but overall, it's um, it, it seems to, to be a success. It seems that there's a lot of interest in it. Um, man, I just had a question for you and I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what the question was, um, the money. Is this just a straight gift? Do the the people who participate have to pay it back? How does it work?
1: That's a great question. So there are repayment conditions. If at any point in the future a client sells the home, they no longer use that property as their primary residence, or they want to do a cash out refinance to take equity out of their first mortgage, they would be required to pay it back at that time. Mm. But as long as they're living there and using that as their primary uh, residence, there's no monthly payments, there's no interest, there's no expectations until they meet one of those conditions.
0: Oh, and even with the, the conditions, um, do they have to pay interest when they, they pay it back then? No. That is awesome actually. Mm-hmm. I, I thought for some reason I had it in my mind that there must be some level of interest. But.
1: A lot of programs do have interest out in the world, right, yeah. other first time home buyer programs. Um, at the time this one doesn't.
0: Very which cool. I think
1: is nice and straightforward.
0: What, what other programs are, are you regularly involved with?
1: Who? well. So I do the, the grants management for the rental assistance programs as well as Hale Mahaolu's homeownership counseling, which is not me doing any of those programs, but just tracking how they're doing and what they're experiencing and answering their questions and you know the paperwork behind the scenes pieces for that. There's the affordable housing fund, so the deadline actually for our next RFP for that is today. So we'll see how many applications we receive, and then we start the review process. You graciously volunteered to be on our review panel this year, which is very exciting. So that is another big process to review those applications, prepare an annual plan report through the departments, and then see which projects get the support of of council as well from our list.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm very nervous and very excited about um, that review process.
1: Oh, um, you're going to be great. It's not scary. Well,
0: that's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll just pretend that I'm, I'm putting on a brave face. Um, <laughs> now, as somebody who works in the housing world, um, I feel like a lot of the folks who are, are in that world are kind of unsung heroes. Um, and also they're... We as realtors are very interested in housing um, and we have a lot of resources, but we don't necessarily know where to go or what to do to to really make a difference. Um, Are there any organizations in particular that that you would recommend realtors or anybody listening to to get involved with or or any ways that they can help out?
1: Wow, what a good question. Well, you know, there's a handful of, of non-profit organizations that do development-related activities here. So, for example, there's Nahaleo Maui, their community land trust. That's a very interesting model. Uh, there's Habitat for Humanity. They provide a bunch of houses in the community. So I think it really depends on what any one person's interested in supporting or how they're interested in volunteering their time. Um, But really, I think any nonprofit here that does any sort of work for county residents or providing services like rental assistance or other maybe job-related training services or anything, you know, you can't go wrong Mm. when you get involved and you learn more about what they do. And I think um, the more that I've seen, the more I can see how everything layers together. And it's really, we're all sort of this puzzle piece, right? And or puzzle, and then there's all the pieces that fit into that. And so um, all of it's just such a great opportunity.
0: Yeah. Now, um, we usually, I've already jumped back in time at this point in the podcast, but but let's, let's go and do that. So you've been working for the county of Maui um, since roughly, what was it, 2018? 2016 you started? Uh, no,
1: 2018, just over a year now.
0: Um, but let's, let's take a big old jump way back. Where'd you grow up? What's your family like?
1: I grew up here, born and raised on Maui in Kula, which is where I still live now. So, you know, yes, I'm a weirdo who lives in my childhood bedroom as an adult, but, um...
0: Did you change, did you upgrade it?
1: Well, (laughs) there's definitely a new bed, not the same beds. not the same furniture, but, um you know, special to be able to have family here and to be able to maintain that kind of relationship. And so both of my parents are here on island. And um, I left for college to the mainland and then I got married while I was out there and I dragged my husband back here. I say dragged, but you know, Hawaii is such a special place to be able to is
0: It's an live. easy sell. Yeah. yeah. I, I followed um, I followed my wife here. So, so I, I get it. I, I think it's really um, a fantastically easy pitch for, for, you, for you to tell your husband, hey, we can move to, to Maui. Where is he from?
1: Well, he grew up in a military family, so he's been sort of all over the map. He spent some of elementary school on Oahu, so the Hawaiian culture and, and the dynamics we have here were familiar to him already, which I think helped that cell. And then the most amount of time he spent in any one place was in Guantanamo Bay because his father was stationed there. Oh, wow. So he went to high school there.
0: That yeah. must have been interesting. Yeah. Small. <laughs>
1: small. His high school class had 11 people in it.
0: That um, is small. Mm-hmm. Mine, um, mine had 30. I went to a really small high school. That's but, very um, small. Not as small as, as if I had grown up in Guantanamo Bay. So.
1: No, no. But I'm sure it felt as small.
0: Yeah. Now, um, so, so you grew up born and raised on Maui. What did you want to be when you were a kid?
1: An actress.
0: An actress. Did, mm-hmm. did you participate in the local theater or, or do you currently?
1: I don't currently. I did participate in performing arts in middle school and high school. Um, just through the school performances and, and things like that. And then I started off majoring in theater at college, which was a lot of fun.
0: You went to Arizona State University. I
1: did, yes. Go Sun Devils. (laughs) Shameless plug.
0: Why ASU?
1: Well, uh, there were a couple of reasons. One, it was about as far away on the scale of similarities from here as you could get. I couldn't have picked something more different. At the time, at least, it was the largest public school in the country with 60,000 students. And that was really appealing. Um... But also, you know, when I had the opportunity to visit schools, I visited ASU in July when it was 115 degrees out, and every student I saw had was smiling and seemed excited about being there. And I thought, well, if I'm here at the worst time of year to be here, and the people I see are happy on their way to class and excited and weren't dragging their feet, you know, that something with that felt right.
0: That is actually really great logic. I, I totally commend you on that. But 115 <laughs> degrees is insanely hot. Hot. Is, is it true that dry heat business that they try and tell you, like, oh, it's not so bad, it's dry heat?
1: You know, I don't know. It's just, it's all hot. And I always wore locals and things yeah. like that, right? And it's hot enough that your locals melt a little bit walking. And then the asphalt gets tacky, like the blacktop roads can get tacky oh, on really wow. hot days. And so you walk, and your shoes stick to the pavement, and um, not that you're not stuck, but you can feel the resistance, yeah. right? And it's hot. I didn't enjoy Arizona summers, but they were part of it.
0: And and it gets it gets pretty cold there sometimes too, right?
1: it can but not so much in phoenix and tempe where the Mm. campus is but if you go up in the mountains it snows every year and definitely
0: arizona
1: extreme temperatures
0: well i mean i went to um i went to undergrad in, in south carolina which um would also reach temperatures slightly above 100 but it was ridiculously humid Um, So you're probably smarter than me for picking Arizona because (laughs) I don't think anybody smiles in Charleston in like August when it's at its hottest. It's just, you're soaking wet uh, from sweat. It's terrible. Um, So Arizona State University, you started in theater and then what did you get your degree in?
1: So I got my bachelor's in psychology, which was fun and interesting and different in its way. And then... I worked for the college when I was an undergrad, and I had the opportunity to stay on in a professional capacity when I graduated, which gave me the chance to keep going to school and do something different, so I studied public administration, too.
0: And was that sort of the, um, the, the birth of the current path that you're on now?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, the program at ASU was so inspiring, and it was so geared towards trying to identify solutions to complicated problems and really following the mentality that the government exists to serve the residents of the Mm. population, right? And, um, you know, a for-profit business might have stakeholders or investors, but for the government, it's everyone who lives in that district or in that area. And the whole point of what we do is to meet the needs of our population. So I found that very inspiring and, and it clicked in an interesting way, I guess and then I thought I should move home and, and see how I can help
0: mm. the um, so so what you stated as far as the the role of government that it's it exists to serve the needs of the people um, that's a, a fairly liberal view of, of the role of government um, Was that the the view that was generally accepted at Arizona State University or or was there a conservative skew to any of it given its its geographical location?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think that Arizona State University, I mean, generally I think the trend is even in conservative areas, schools can be more liberal. Yeah. Um, I think what Arizona State does a good job at is incorporating diverse perspectives and a lot of what they do as a school is geared towards innovation and, you know, out of the box ideas. And so, the current president there has this whole new American University model that he introduced and really sort of created and implemented there, which I think is great. Maybe not everyone does, but I had a really good experience at ASU under that model. And mm. then,
0: um, and, and what is that? I'm not familiar with that at all.
1: Well, you know, they're trying to do things. To create programs that, gosh, it has been a while since I... Oh, it's
0: okay. (laughs) So,
1: um, but I think the idea is sort of similar to what I was talking about, my view of government, is that schools are there to create people who are equipped to go out into the world and pursue their visions or their dreams or come up with new programs or ideas. And ASU implemented like a school of, of innovation Oh, cool. And there's there's whole programs that you can study and focus on that are very related to that. And ASU was also very engaged in, involved in research and improving the greater Phoenix area. Like, it wasn't just whatever they do on their campus is whatever they do. They were looking for partnerships with businesses and with the government. And they're involved with research of ways to bring down urban temperatures there in the summer and new technologies or... Types of paint that you can use that help reduce heat and.
0: That's useful for everybody.
1: Oh, there, especially. So, just, you know, any way to think in the bigger picture and, you know, what does this mean for what's next and, um, you know, increasing retention and persistence to graduation and all of those pieces, too. And how do you have a school and programs that meet the needs of the students who are there?
0: Yeah. Um. That isn't really interesting. Um, I, I feel like a lot of institutions have moved towards a um, a public benefit um, model or, or focus, at yeah. least in in their outward facing programs that right. they show to the world. Uh, so it's cool that you got that that experience. Um, were you certain that that you wanted to come back to Maui after that?
1: You know, I was. I wasn't when I finished my bachelor's, but when I was doing the master's program in the public administration I was and I I committed to that pretty early in that process
0: and and why what was the the process like that that thought process
1: well um, you know there really isn't anywhere else in the world that's like here Mm. and I had a great experience at ASU and you know, anything I wanted to get involved with, I could there, which was very exciting, but I missed being able to do things like go to the grocery store and and see people who you knew and have that talk story, kind of community dynamic and be in a place where there's a a big feeling of we, right? Mm. And that kind of, those traits that I think do exist here with the Aloha spirit and the way that people interact and care for each other and are willing to stop to help strangers and all of those types of things that are here that doesn't exist everywhere and so i wanted um, to get back to that and also you know try to contribute to that in a positive way
0: yeah yeah it's a, that sense of community i am um, I've, I've told you this in the past and I'll, I'll say it just for the record um i love that you came back because i really dig the concept of like re-entrification so, instead of gentrification where, where community relies on people from the outside coming in with outside resources um, and, and redeveloping an area, uh, the, the concept of re-entrification where, where kids from the community grow up, they get the, um, the talent um, and they get the experience necessary to really make a drastic difference in their community and then they come back and put it back to work for the folks who, who raised them, you know, for that community that built them. And, and I think more folks need to, to do that. And this is coming from somebody who has, who has um, abandoned the place <laughs> he is from and, and has vowed never to return. Um, however, I, I, I get over that because my, I followed my wife home. So she re-entrified. One of us needed to. A choice had to be made. Um, sure. And Maui is a lot nicer than Long Island. Mm. But, uh, but thank you for re-entrifying and, <laughs> and improving Maui.
1: Well, I don't know if I get any credit for any of that yet. But, you know, it is a nice idea. And hopefully, um, you know, it's hard for people to come back here. I was really only able to do it because my mom was still here. Mm. And there was still somewhere to come to. And if there wasn't that place to go to, I don't think it would have been possible for me. So I was very lucky in that regard, too.
0: Now, oftentimes, um, I guess it's kind of like um, the allegory of the cave, where when you are when you leave Maui uh, and you come back, you you notice things that, that you might not have seen before. Your your vision of, of the world has been expanded. You've been let out of the cave, and you, you see the world um, and now that you're, you've come back, what have there been any interesting observations that you've had between your youth and now, um, or, or things that have changed that, that are notable or marked?
1: Oh, boy. What a question. You ask tough questions.
0: <laughs> I try, you yeah. know, makes for no, interesting it, real, conversation.
1: Real talk, right?
0: Yeah, real talk.
1: Um. You know, I think that when I was a kid, I took for granted how easy it was to be here uh, because I wasn't worrying about bills or any of the, you know, what kind of career opportunities there were or um, what the needs of others necessarily were in the same way. It was just like I just had my bubble that I was in and I went home and I did my homework and I did whatever else I did and there was just this very sheltered environment being in high school or whatever yeah and so as an adult that lens isn't there anymore and it's it's much easier to see where where the opportunities are or where the the hardships are for people and um you know I wanted to come back and and I had this whole vision of just starting working for the county right away and that didn't work out that way and so that was um you know, I was lucky that I had family support to help me weather through that phase and find something else to do and kind of create a new path forward and I see a lot of those struggles and I hear a lot of those struggles from like clients of our first time homebuyers program is people who have been here their, their lives or they've raised their children here and they want to be able to stay here and continue to raise their family here but If they can't find their footing somewhere, it won't be an option for them to stay. So I think about, I guess, just the world a little differently.
0: Mm. What was that, you you alluded to this, what was that struggle like, that journey like when you came back from from college, you had a a master's in public administration. Um, What did you end up doing when you came back to Maui?
1: Well, my first job was at Macy's which actually was a lot of fun, and you got to work with people who really enjoyed what they were doing, and the customers loved Macy's, and we would have customers who came in with their original Liberty House cards that were (laughs) 30 years old that you couldn't read anything else on them. And so there was a really strong sense of pride there, which I didn't know that before I started working there.
0: I've never heard of that before.
1: Yeah, and, and there was, um, you know, it was really special to get to know this big group of people and and who they were, and, and retail is sort of a fascinating industry, I guess, but um, that was my start, and then I sort of switched gears into nonprofits, where I bounced around for a few years, and then, you know, one day I was thinking about what was next, and the housing division had a, a position open as a specialist, and... I thought, well, what the heck? I'll try it, and it worked out. So far.
0: So far. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta know, um, since you you brought up Macy's and working retail, you made it sound very nice, but we we all know that um, that sometimes you get those nightmare customers. Did, did you ever have one of those like horrific retail experiences?
1: You know, I think I think the customers that I were with who were the most upset were customers who had an experience that was bad and they didn't feel like anyone cared. Mm. And I think that's true of of anything that we do, right? Like we all want to feel seen and recognized. And if something didn't feel right, we want to have a way to bring that forward and and have it addressed. And so, um, you know, there were times where there were customers who had an experience that didn't, Meet their needs or what they were looking for, and um, most of the time there was something we could do to resolve it and make them happy and and show that we did care, and um, you know a lot of a lot of good life lessons in that.
0: That was a very diplomatic answer. That was, <laughs> I, I just gave you the opportunity to, to put one of those uh, those nightmare customers on blast. Um, that, no, no right. I respect that. I respect that you, you didn't take that low-hanging fruit to, to get your, <laughs> your retail vengeance on somebody. Um, no. You know, five years after the factory. I was very lucky.
1: <laughs> I was lucky in my experiences there.
0: You're, I, you know, I still hold some grudges from when I waited tables, yeah. just against some of those those customers that were just particularly um, unkind. Let's let's say. Yeah. But um, no, well, it's good. Think, it's good to let it go. It's good to focus on the positive.
1: Well, and retail retail's a little different because people pass through
0: in retail
1: Mm. they're sort of they're always moving they're always shopping or browsing and then they're making their selections and they're purchasing and and they're maybe there for an hour but not everyone is yeah and they transition through different departments in a store like macy's whereas if you work in a restaurant you have someone who's sitting down in your area for what like an hour probably. yeah and that's that's a very different kind of interactive dynamic.
0: It's a very odd relationship. Mm. They're they're relying on you for sustenance. A lot of times they're hangry. Hangry, um, yes. You know, maybe if, if you've been working like a double shift or something like that, it's just, it's a bad combination, you know.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. That's I struggled <laughs> with um, shifts in retail because oh, every week was different. And
0: oh, the shifting schedule. Yeah. That really is, it's difficult. Um, I think that's one of those, like, um, maybe maybe it's like a wealth inequality issue, maybe <laughs> to well, a certain degree.
1: there's some interesting, you know, articles out there that, that talk about just industries that rely on shift work where you can't get a schedule more than a week or two weeks out. Not that Macy's was necessarily like that, but that in general, we create these positions that are typically low-wage earning positions that don't enable those employees to create a stable schedule, which affects their ability to um, maybe go to school and continue their education. Or if they have children who have childcare or other obligations, that can make that very difficult. It can make it difficult to advance in those industries. So, yeah, I I think there's some truth to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know know a, a few people that teach over at UHMC. And frequently I'll hear a story about, you know, oh, I had a customer who works at this and this retail shop and, um, or sorry, a student that works at this retail shop and they're likely going to have to drop my class because their shift has changed or they can't get somebody to cover for them on these times and, you know, if, if you can't get a schedule more than, let's say, for argument's sake, a month in advance. Um, which is pretty frequent in both food and bev and retail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really hard to get higher education where, sure. where you have to commit to a whole semester at a time.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: so I, I commend you. But let's we're we're getting off topic, and the topic <laughs> is you. Oh um, So you you worked for a couple of nonprofits. Uh, what what was that experience like?
1: It was good. I worked for for different ones. So the first one was Maui Economic Development Board. And I worked more in their small business side, which was not an area that I I had much knowledge in before that. So that was a great learning experience. Uh, a lot of research and data and surveys on different kinds of things, which um, I'm sort of a nerd, so I like things like that. And then the second nonprofit was Patch, people attentive to children, which does early childhood care and education work here in the state. And so, very different kind of nonprofit, yeah. and very different target audience, and and different dynamics. But um, you know, also also very interesting. And there's a huge need for childcare here, um, and childcare itself costs families more than a year of in-state college tuition does, comparatively. Like you spend more for a toddler preschool program than you do for college. Really? Yeah. On on average, you know, that's not to say that there aren't colleges that are more expensive, but early childhood care is very time consuming. You know, child care providers do a lot of work and they go to classes and they get training and sometimes certifications to be able to care and work with young children. Yeah. And early childhood development is so important and you have to have a certain number of of educators or caregivers per the the size of your class yeah you know there's very specific ratios that people have to follow and um it's expensive it's expensive to provide all of that
0: that is insane though (laughs) like a college education that is that is nuts
1: yeah it is it's difficult and then when when there's fewer providers than there are young children who would need care um you know there's a lot of competition for those spaces in early childhood in programs and... Um,
0: and then you get into a lot of these issues of people having to choose between whether it's worth it to work and pay for childcare or whether it's just worth it to, to take off from your career and, and just raise your kid.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of that out there.
0: Ugh, those, um, all those deep issues. Now, complicated. Now you, so working between all of these, these groups that, that focus on different uh, needs areas, um, is, is that tricky or is it sort of essentially the same skills and, and abilities that transfer throughout?
1: Well, I think a lot of it's really the same. Mm. You know, all of the soft skill things like you asked about retail experiences and I talked about people needing to feel seen and heard. That's true everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere people want to be treated with respect and like they matter and um, like what they need is being recognized and that there are resources that can be there for them. So I think a lot of that is really similar in everything. and everything I've done as different as it is has given me new um, parameters, I guess, new lenses to look at things through and New things to think about of how stuff layers together and where it fits. So, you know, lots to learn. I never stopped learning at any of them, right? So,
0: what do you see yourself doing in ten years?
1: Oh boy, I have no <laughs> idea.
0: I'm just springing, <laughs> springing crazy questions on you know.
1: <laughs> I I don't know. You know, I've I guess technically I've changed careers, you know, in quotes if you will, about every year and a half or so since I graduated from college.
0: Yeah, I mean, you change like jobs. Aside from the 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 Macy's thing, the rest of it is sort of the same career path.
1: I guess you know, I guess it is, but it it felt different, and um, they weren't linearly connected, like the The bachelor's in psychology was a really big asset for working at Patch mm. because it was much more human experience focused and also resources and, and support based, um, whereas you know public administration is certainly much more relevant to the work I'm doing now. So I think it's just been kind of where I thought I would have a linear path. I didn't, but it wound up being maybe more rewarding that way. Mm and like maybe I've learned more through that process. And so 10 years from now, gosh, I don't know. I hope I'm happy.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a solid answer. I yeah. see myself being happy. That's the right? goal. Yeah, right? Yeah.
1: That's, that's the goal.
0: What, um, you know, having had a few different jobs in, in, in helping people, uh, what are a few things that you're proud of that you've done, like particularly uh, proud of?
1: Oh, boy. Um, I think the things that have have been areas of, of pride of when I've been able to make a positive contribution to something. So when I was at Patch, there was a period where some of the grants we received from local agencies were... Closing out that period, and there was an opportunity to be involved with assessing if the program that we had been operating was the most responsive. And Patch decided to shift, and I got to be a part of that planning process and identifying where to shift to, and I found that very rewarding. Um, similarly, you know, with first-time homebuyers, I got to be part of that research and and consideration process, and you know it it feels really good to be able to do something that hopefully helps and maybe helps meet a need that wasn't being met before or creates new opportunities for your clients or the people you're serving I think that's special
0: cool I like that yeah um we uh, what um, Sorry, once again, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's a Friday afternoon. <laughs> and a and, um, afternoon. and I feel like that gives us some, some leeway. Um, but let's, let's sort of refocus. Now I'm focusing my brain. I was going to say, let's go towards those wrapping up questions, but I, I still want to ask you a couple of questions about what's going on in the county. So as far as what's going on in the county today, um, what big issues are you concerned about?
1: Oh, boy. What big issues am I concerned about?
0: Yeah. Like, like you're, you have a, a wish list. You can, you can get the county to focus on, on three big issues. Um, what are the things that are, that are worrying you, Jessica Krause?
1: Oh boy. Well, I'm going to sort of narrow my scope, I guess, to what I'm doing in housing. So I think, I think the housing division, the work we do isn't easily understood. Mm. And, um, you know, I think we have an opportunity to find ways to better explain what we do and how we do it and how the the system functions.
0: That's pretty relevant because um, didn't Mike Molina just um, come up with some sort of proposal to split up housing and human concerns and create a separate department of housing? And
1: you know, he did. And, and you know, I don't know that I can speak to whether, what the right answer is there, but yeah, there's I, going to be discussions about that to come, I I expect in the future. And I think that, you know, there was a housing article I was looking at online that that talked about housing and someone commented and said, oh, well, you know, what's the housing division doing if they have all these people and we're not seeing it? And so how do we do a better job of, of that transparency? How do we and housing is so complicated. I had no idea how complicated it was when I started. It's been this kind of learning process to see that, you know, because it's easy to think, well, you know, there's somewhere, there's a land out there. We should put a house on it. Easy.
0: What do you say to those people that say, well, what are you, what are you guys doing? What is the housing division doing?
1: Well, sometimes people call and ask me that, and they say, well, what do you mean,
0: <laughs> what are you, and, uh, so I talk about
1: it, and I talk about the different programs we have, and I talk about what our role is and where we fit, Um, but I think, you know, that's always an opportunity and I think that's probably true of a lot of things the county does is how well do people understand it and um, how can we explain complicated issues in ways that people can relate to and and connect with and understand and how do we do that in a way that doesn't take up someone's whole day or, or a huge amount of time because there's so many issues for people to care about and be interested in learning about and how do we make that information accessible.
0: Mm. Is that stuff accessible on the website? Should we direct people?
1: Well, we do have a lot of information about what we do on the Housing Division website. Uh, But again, you know, how much... How much can you understand if you read a little paragraph that says well here's a checklist of things we do but do people know what the affordable housing fund is i don't know i don't know how many do so there's always opportunities and sometimes you know in anything someone will have a, a conversation or they'll share information and i think anyone who uses social media sees this is there's an article that gets shared and the comments on it maybe are not even relevant to the content of the article. Maybe people aren't even looking at the article. They're yeah. just seeing the picture that's shared with it or the headline and assuming that, that they understand what's in the article itself. Um,
0: do you think social media is helping us address problems or, or do you think it's it's actually becoming an impediment at, at this point?
1: Um, both. You know, it, it's one of those you know you don't get one without the other probably Mm. if you want engagement social media can be really good at that but a couple of years ago Facebook came out and said that they were seeing that the quality of interaction was slipping and so Facebook posted articles about how they were changing their algorithms and how they were refocusing to try to get back to what they started out to be which was really this networking site to meet people and retain relationships with people and and um you know it it's an industry that changes so quickly that that makes it difficult too but you don't you can't have that positive engagement without also opening the door to misuse of information or lack of understanding and you lose that personal connection right with anything that's typed online so
0: yeah complicated. Honestly, um, somebody very close to me described Facebook as a, a cesspit the other day. Mm. And that was, it seemed just the most on point description. (laughs) I, I like, I, I, do appreciate the, um, I appreciate it as a method of communication or, or means of, of getting a press release out or notifying people about a meeting. But, um, ever since there were there was an article that facebook had released like a press release they had done something like maybe four years ago now it's been a Mm -hmm. while where they admitted that they had done an experiment to see if they could manipulate people's emotional state Mm. um with their algorithms and the color schemes that they were using and they didn't notify anybody that they were actually. participating in this experiment as facebook was actively manipulating their their mental state Mm -hmm. and the results were that yes facebook successfully was able to make people depressed or make people happy based on the color schemes that they were using and the articles that they were showing them and then nobody really talked about it much after that i think i think there was a little bit of like public um, outcry saying, what the heck, people? And then Facebook was like, oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> which, which didn't seem like a good enough response. Um, but since then, I, I, I have like a severe distrust for it. And I just, um, yeah, with that, that Trump stuff, um, how, you know, we know that there were Russian troll farms that, that acted within the rules of Facebook's conduct and mm-hmm. technically didn't violate any laws. Um, yet use the system um, and, and essentially weaponized social media. Uh, so I'm always a little bit skeptical of its, its overall usefulness.
1: Well, um, and I think that's a good thing to be skeptical. Yeah. And I think, well, coming from a psychology background, everything in life is sort of this experiment. And um, there's been research on how to do all of those things. And there's a lot of truth and stuff like color theory and what you present to people and you know, learned helplessly. You know, there's all sorts of different things out there, but we all have choices that we can make for what content we're looking for. Yeah. And how do we we find sources that give us varied perspectives and how do we find accurate information? And, you know, I think you're right. I think we're living in a time where a lot of the media out there is very biased and maybe they don't clearly represent their biases in what they're focusing on or or what their agendas are and what they're looking for, for their goals. And it gets very difficult to figure out what's true, what's um, an opinion, is Facebook trying to make us happy? You know, where where is all of that? It's tricky.
0: As somebody who deals with human needs um, and the most basic of human needs, housing, um, in today's Maui, are you optimistic?
1: Um, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I think I am. I am optimistic because the people who I see here all care a lot about the work that they're doing. And I see a lot of people looking to create partnerships to find solutions and... Affordable housing is not a problem that's unique to us mm. by any stretch. You know, everywhere in the country is struggling with it and everywhere is trying to figure it out. And I think probably a lot of areas across the world are struggling with these these same things we are. And so we're not alone in trying to figure out how to move forward. And, you know, there's so many implications that go beyond just housing because there's also are there jobs available available? People yeah. talk about a shrinking middle class. You know, home ownership is part of maintaining a middle class. There's all sorts of different layers to it, but I see a lot of people here who really care and, and really want to move the needle in a positive direction and create those opportunities. And like with first-time homebuyer program, there were clients in the previous year who shared that there were several offers on the property that they were interested in and their offer was selected because they were a first-time home buyer here
0: oh wow that's outstanding
1: yeah and so you know i i think that there is an awareness here that we need to support each other yeah. and if we don't help each other and we don't take the opportunities we have to do that you know that's that's the issue is we have to we all have to step up to the table in some way or another and you know, I know you came to the Landlord Summit and you were on the panel, and that was the best attended Landlord Summit, I think, in the history of that event. Yeah, it
0: was, it was very popular as well. Yeah,
1: certainly. yeah, and so the more that people are learning about where the needs are and that, um, you know, at some point all of us need help with something, and the more that we have choices to make a difference to support a need, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people choosing that, mm. and that makes me very optimistic
0: yeah the landlord summit was was um, we had a great turnout for that. I think we had ended up having close to 200 people registered and maybe in reality it was only like 140 people who showed mm-hmm. up or 145 or something like that. Um, but we're actually talking about doing some sort of regional program um, like a workshop and and maybe having the first one as early as December wow. to, to help people, actually sign up with the organizations to to house tenants that are in these like vulnerable classes that need help Mm -hmm. um so i'll I'll have more news on that later and and i'll loop you in for our next meeting i think the next meeting's in early october um with that group so so i think you should be involved with that um but no i agree with you and and the the landlord summit the reason why i started talking about that too was because that was a great example of the willingness of different organizations to work together Mm. on maui um which you know i had worked um i had done some work in international aid in in uganda and there is some overlap with organizations but you know you you end up having about you know 10 different groups in any of these developing nations that are doing um, their version of literacy aid or their version of agricultural aid um, and they're they're all slightly different and they're all kind of competing with each other in a way for for those you know USAID dollars that that say no 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 our methodology is the the better one and, and we deserve the funding um, and what I noticed on Maui with with the various um, aid organizations as, as well as governmental agencies is that there's much more of a willingness to share resources um, and share information and share the spotlight as far as organizing an event and, and spreading around the cost and the credit for it, Yeah. Um, which, yeah, the, the landlord Summit was one of those things that actually made me feel quite a bit more hopeful, um, just that that willingness to work together and that recognition that, that we can, you know, there there's this um, old African proverb, which I don't actually think is an African proverb, but it gets quoted as an African proverb in africa so so but it's uh if you want to go fast, go alone, and if you want to go far, go together mm. um, and uh and I think in a lot of places, organizations want to go fast, they want to have a, a, a firm impact quickly, but I think in Maui, a lot of the organizations that are at play here um, are really focused on on extending their programs and helping as many people as possible, which I like
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, let me, let, let's get to, to my favorite part is the cool down questions towards, towards the end of the interview. Um, so I'm just going to ask you, you've listened before, you, you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, what book would you recommend?
1: Oh boy, there's so many books. I'm a, I'm a big reader, so, uh, right now I'm almost through with a book called Rising Strong by Brené Brown, who is a shame researcher
0: a shame research.
1: yeah so she researches shame and she's primarily focused on women historically but i think she's broadening and including more uh variety of of clients in her future research but she talks about how shame affects us and how we react when we feel shame which is um and how to work through that and how to to change what we do and Rising Strong talks a lot about the process of, well, you know, how do you address complicated feelings, or when something is really challenging, how do you work through that to rise above it, or when something doesn't go the way you think it would, and that's a really hard time, how do you work through that, and it's just such an interesting, she's really, she does really fascinating work. She has a TED Talk, she has a Netflix special, I mean, you can find her
0: I'm gonna check out her Pretty TED much Talk anywhere. When, you, when you leave here. Um, do you? That's that's in that realm of psychology. Do you mm-hmm. ha, have you sort of focused on that or, or really um, circled back around towards psychology since your your undergrad days?
1: Um, I guess in a broader perspective. So like Brene Brown, she her background's in social work, Okay. specifically not psychology, but. What makes people work is always such a fascinating mm. thing to me, and um you know i I feel like I'm an introvert. People don't believe me when I say that, but um social interactions and like meeting new people that's a scary thing for me, and like walking up to strangers and starting <laughs> conversations can be very scary, and when there's a big group, that's like a thing. so I guess I find value in reading books about human behavior and leadership and, and things because, um, you know, I want to, like I said, if I want to make an impact and, and make positive contributions, that requires social interaction and that requires that skill set. And so there's always something to learn.
0: Were you always an introvert?
1: I think so. People tell me they can't believe it. And then, um, but, you know, you can do all those personality tests. Yeah. And I always score as an introvert.
0: Well, I, I, I'm, the reason I ask is because you mentioned earlier that when you were a kid, you wanted to be an actor or an actress.
1: Yeah, but you know, when you're acting, you're not being yourself. Yeah, right. And That's there's very this, true. There's this really big difference between getting on a stage and talking about your own life. Yeah. And your own experiences, or like who you are, what you value, versus um, whatever character someone else came up with.
0: It's that vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can understand that.
1: But, you know, vulnerability is so important, and I think that's what creates cooperation, and that's what creates that awareness. And um, I think the whole world is starting to shift more in that direction of how do we use vulnerability and authenticity to to have happier lives and have lives that connect. And I think people are more willing to talk about things, like maybe substance abuse or... Mm. Um,
0: you know, I think that's—I think that has to do with our loss of privacy. You it, think? I, I think there's like a, a sort of a Darwinian thing to it, where we're learning how to be more more vulnerable because we don't really have an option emotionally. Like, um, huh. you know, everybody's everybody's business is up on social media, and if it's not your own social media, then other people are posting pictures of you doing stuff with them, and. You know, Google knows everything you search and everything that you get in your email and all that other jazz. So you're getting targeted advertisements. So so everything that you see is, is largely a reflection of your inner desires, you know, um, and, and so, so your vulnerability is put on full display now. You know, like Joe Biden, Joe Biden, when he ran for president uh, back in the, the late 80s, he plagiarized speeches. Mm-hmm. Um and we didn't have search engines back then so you could you could get away with stuff like that. And now Joe Biden has to be more honest and more vulnerable and more open because now you can't get away with the stuff that people were getting away with before. And that's that he's just the example I pull because of the plagiarism thing, but mm-hmm. all of us. I mean, you inauthentic inauthenticity um can can be a plague for for folks these days.
1: Well, I, I think sort of s- differently i think social media creates inauthenticity Mm. because what we see is everyone's best moments and we see what they highlight and we see what they want people to think about them and you know i think vulnerability is learning how to be real through that and say well you know not every day is me sitting on the beach yeah with perfect blue skies right like some days their struggles and what are those struggles and so i think vulnerability is maybe a response to that like how do Mm. we you know you're right there is an accountability thing we can't get away with lying like we used to yeah to some extent but then you know there's all these posts of models who post pictures of what they look like when they did a photo shoot with 200 photos and then what they look like when they're just taking a selfie without their makeup on to be real and and i think
0: it's um you I, know I we have
1: to choose vulnerability to remind people that we're all real people we're all complicated
0: yeah i mean there's a um there's great subreddit and it's uh, like instagram reality mm-hmm. where, where you can go and you can check out the the differences between the pictures i think you're right um, the vulnerability might also be uh, sort of damage control in a lot, of, mm. a lot of situations because we do live these, we post these inauthentic um, highlight reels. I mean, that's what social media really is. It's like a highlight reel for mm-hmm. you. Um, so, so I guess the vulnerability is, is this way. Nobody calls you out for the, uh, the highlight <laughs> reel, maybe. That's my my armchair psychology. Um, let's, <laughs> let's go on to the second question. Um, what is guaranteed to make you smile?
1: Oh, boy. Um, I spend, I think, an unreasonable amount of time watching videos of, like, animals doing cute things. Mm. Or there's really ridiculous memes on the Internet that are just, they shouldn't be funny. And I just think they're hilarious. And my husband doesn't understand it at all. But all the time I'm like, you have to see this thing. And he's like, what is funny about that? And I'm just crying and laughing so hard. So, um, you
0: know cute yeah. animal videos and memes
1: safe yeah those are very safe bets with me
0: safe bets i mean i i was at somebody's house the other day we ended up watching um baby panda bear videos for oh like my an gosh. hour.
1: Well, and then they, you know, one video ends and then the next video is queued up, ready to go. And
0: you just got to go with it.
1: Yeah. Very easy to get sucked into that wormhole. Yeah.
0: And it's way better than, than watching some depressing stuff, like, you know, like <laughs> Nancy Grace. I don't even know if she's still on the air, but she's just my, my go-to example of the most depressing television you could watch. Mm. Sorry if you're a Nancy Grace fan, but you, you should watch something else. Please, <laughs> listeners. Um, all right. What goal do you have that you have not achieved yet?
1: What goal? I really want to travel more.
0: Hmm. What what spots do you have on your list?
1: Um. Well, I would love to go to Australia. Okay. And but the problem with Australia is that it's so big and it's so diverse and.
0: And everything will kill you. Just right. <laughs> right.
1: Anything. I mean, that's the scary part of it. But all of the really cool stuff to do that's different is all over the place. You know, you can't just hit it all in oh, a week. Yeah. It's not like if you go to a city and everything's right there. You know, you have to travel across the continent. So that's something. Um, my first trip out of the country ever was last year to Tokyo, which was oh, how was that? Li- life-changing. I mean, it was incredible.
0: I, I've um, not been to Japan yet, and that's, that's sort of at the top of my list yeah, right now. Yeah, I would
1: recommend it. I mean, everyone that we met was friendly and helpful and kind, and it was a very trusting place. And... You know, we were, we stayed in a residential neighborhood, which was really nice because we got to see a different side of Tokyo through that too. And um, you're walking down the street at 10 o'clock at night and the people 10 feet in front of you don't even look over their shoulders to find out who's behind them. Like very, you're in train stations with tens of thousands of people and there's still luggage lockers
0: that you can
1: rent for the day and leave whatever you want in there. I mean, it's a very different kind of a culture there.
0: Was it an issue? Do you speak Japanese at all? Or? No,
1: not even a little bit. Um, in Tokyo, it was fine. All of the train stations ha- were bilingual and had everything in Japanese and English. And you can rent little Wi-Fi hotspots that you take with you that are very affordable, and so you have Wi-Fi anywhere oh. you go. And um, there were only a couple of restaurants that we went to where no one who worked there spoke English. And You know we worked out and we pointed at things yeah there's a lot of pictures on menus there
0: now i had somebody warn me once because i've got quite a few tattoos that that i might have an issue traveling around japan Mm. with lots of tattoos is that true
1: so there's things that you can't do there like you can't go into an onsen with tattoos my understanding which certainly could be wrong don't i'm no expert in anything um but that tattoos have been associated with people who may be engaged in criminal activity yeah that's that's what i was told but there were places you know we saw tattoo shops and we saw a lot of people who had tattoos uh, but there's certain areas that it's i guess trickier
0: okay so kind of like just bathhouses are really largely where i'm not allowed (laughs) that's
1: the one that stood out to us and then um i don't know i had friends who traveled who have tattoos and i said they got looked at Mm. Kind of, but there wasn't any altercations over it.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, I, can, I can handle that.
1: Yeah, you can. I'm going to
0: Japan. I'm going to go to Japan. It'll be great. Um, What is something that you've learned recently? Something that I've learned
1: recently? Okay, I've, I learned about oysters recently.
0: Oysters? What about oysters?
1: Oysters. So oysters are filter feeders. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, they're able to radically clean the water that they're in. And um, oyster habitats and populations have been really critical to ecosystem management. And there's places in the country that are trying to reestablish and redevelop oyster populations, like Chesapeake Bay I think is the biggest example. They have this whole project where they're putting billions of oysters into their tributaries and their bay and and all those things and oysters could be part of saving marine habitats yeah Yeah, reefs and um all of it because they'll eat through sedimentation and they do all of this stuff and there's really cool pictures out there where they just have a fish tank of dirty water with a bunch of oysters in it and then they have the same fish tank like 12 hours later and it's just remarkable I think oysters can filter up to like thirty gallons a day or something like one oyster.
0: yeah, just
1: totally and they just do what they do and
0: and they're not like predatory at all. No, right?
1: they eat plankton and and algae yeah. and stuff that they just inhale and
0: huh. that's
1: how they get their nutrients, but they provide this huge benefit.
0: I wonder if oysters would would work out uh, here off off the coast of Maui.
1: maybe. Maybe. I mean, I know. you know, there's yeah. places.
0: There's places. <laughs> this is way over my head <laughs> as, as far mine as too. That's how more we can apply know. it here. But that's interesting about oysters.
1: Yeah, and pretty much all of the oysters that we eat are all the same species. But what they – I don't eat oysters. But if you yeah. do, when you eat oysters in different places, they seem different because they're affected by the salinity and the different, you know, things in their environment that they yeah. are exposed to. I,
0: I haven't had oysters in, in like – years maybe maybe close to like eight years i used to live in charleston south carolina oysters were very popular there Mm. um so i ate a lot of them in my time there if anybody listening is going to charleston south carolina check out pearl's oyster bar um it's a cool place just sometimes i like to add things in no it's great
1: you never know yeah
0: you never know um and finally what one piece of advice would you give to anyone listening
1: I don't know that I'm qualified to give anyone advice on anything but I think what's helped me a lot is trying to take a step back and listen Mm. and try to step out of my own thoughts or feelings to see what the other perspective is Um, because I really believe that you know we have to come together on things to move forward and we have to find ways to compromise, I mean the world is so diverse and there are so many different priorities and the best learning opportunities I've had have been from learning about something that was different or maybe disagreed, like your thoughts on social media that gives me a lot to think about and to consider on vulnerability and, and social media and you know, of current world, so it's very helpful to listen.
0: That's good advice yeah. yeah I um that last my last interview, the advice was um, very similar. It was uh, don't like don't talk about things that you don't understand or something mm. like that um, or it was if, if you don't know something, admit it. Um, and I, I feel like this is a good follow-up piece of advice, which is listen. Don't be afraid to listen. yeah um, I, I like it um that's that's a solid place to to end off i guess um is there anything else you want to you want to talk about anything you want to let the people know um let the realtors know before we sign off (sighs) um
1: no thank you guys for listening and you know for being engaged and we'll get there together
0: Outstanding. Jessica Kraus, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think you're the future of Maui, Maui County. I, <laughs> I think you're awesome. Um, you're super bright. And you went from Macy's to doing some awesome stuff to help people. Um, and I love it. And I want you to keep on doing it. And I want to I wanna help however I can. So please let me know what we can do to help you. And um, you are always welcome back on the show. And oh, thank thanks. you all so much for listening. Take care.